And this is the first message in a series on hope, entitled Hope Has a Name. And just to help you out, Aaron, the name is Jesus. And our key verse that we're going to be anchoring the series on is one of my favourites out of Romans 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope, one translation says, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to read that again. And just want you to catch the key thoughts, the key phrases. May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the way that God always speaks into our circumstances, whether individually or as a nation or as a people across the planet. And at a point where the Israelites and the children of um, Israel and the prophet Jeremiah are in dire, dire circumstances. And as much as there's gloom in the prophecies, Jeremiah brings this clarion message of hope. And he says this in Jeremiah 29, verse 10 through 11. That's kind of a favourite amongst preachers. This is what the Lord says. I will come to you and fulfil my good promise to bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we'll come back to that passage throughout the series, but I want you to catch the opening statement. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says about your future. I know the plans that I have for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. This is what the Lord says. And I want to ask you this question. What are you saying about your future? I wonder if it's worthwhile you just taking a moment and doing kind of a hope inventory, just kind of looking at your heart, your thoughts, what you've been thinking on, musing on, because it's been an incredibly challenging year. What, What is your hope inventory like? What is your expectation? And I'm not just talking about that kind of fatalistic hope that says, oh, I hope that happens or I hope I don't get socks for Christmas again. A hope inventory. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about hope killers. And don't worry, we'll end in a good place. But we're all born with a sense of optimism. And as we grow up, we face disappointments. Things that happened, we expected that, we hoped for that, we believed for this and it didn't quite work out. Sometimes it was because of our own bad choices or just not perfect choices or missed opportunity. Other times it's things that others have done that gets imposed on us. And other times it's just kind of life as the way of knocking you around a bit. And bit by bit, we kind of let go of hope or we become more measured, more circumspect. And of course, walking through this season in 2020 has certainly added a pressure, another layer 
on what has gone on in our lives. And maybe you've had a good year. Maybe there's been a lot of positive things and be thankful for that. But even you have felt the drag of COVID, so to speak, just the other layer of complexity to life and the shrinking of certain things that you could or couldn't do. And for some people, this year has been a hope killer. There's so many things they had planned, anticipated, and it just didn't happen. And vision begins to die and hope begins to fade and we get to die along with it. There's a statement I heard many, many years ago by Norman Cousins that keeps challenging me every time I read it. Death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss in life is what dies within us while we still live. That you end up settling for existence rather than optimism and faith and expectation of what God might do in and through you. There are many heroes in the Bible, but ultimately God is the real hero of the Bible. And I love the way he interacts with real, fragile, flawed human beings. And I'm acknowledging that and stating that emphatically, in fact, because I want you to understand that he works with people just like us. Sometimes we read of the great heroes in the Bible as we see them and we kind of put them on a pedestal and they become almost in our thinking superheroes which our age is obsessed with. And the hero I wanna talk about is a very flawed person. His name's Elijah. He's an amazing prophet who did some incredible things, but he's very human. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, when he writes his epistle, says Elijah was a, hu- was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. But he prayed and received supernatural answers. Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like us. And I want us to look at that in terms of what are some hope killers, but also how God speaks into that. You can read it for yourself in 1 Kings 18. Elijah is seriously overachieving. He's courageously confronted 450 idolatrous prophets, the prophets of Baal, single-handedly. He builds an altar, carries the stones. He digs trenches. He hauls wood. He butchers a bull. He pours a whole lot of water on top of that. He's done this all by himself. The physical exertion of that would have been enormous. He calls fire down from heaven supernaturally and the, the sacrifice is consumed. He then begins to slay the prophets. It's a very bloody scene. And instantly a national revival breaks out. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And there's a wicked king, Ahab, and his wife is even more wicked, Jezebel. And Ahab tells Jezebel what Elijah has done. And it sends her into a rage and she sends a message to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of the prophets you've just slain. And Elijah just falls apart and it's almost bewildering. Look at this in 1 Kings 19, verses three and four. 
Elijah was afraid. Yeah, this is the man who confronted 400 prophets by himself. This is the man who built an altar, carried stones, slaughtered a bull, all of these things. And now suddenly one message and he falls apart. He was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, which is right on the edge of the desert in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom tree and sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. He's moved from this incredible victory to this total despair. And perhaps in today's psychology, we might even say, isn't God actually a little bit bipolar? What's going on here? How could it be so extreme, so dramatic? But there were a few things that were hope killers that flipped the switch for Elijah, choking out his hope at least for a period of time until his therapist, Dr. God, turned up and began to speak into his life and take hope back into his life. There were three things that were hope killers for Elijah. Fatigue, isolation, worry or anxiety. And we can identify with all three, but I wanted you to catch God's heart for you when you're in that situation and how what was a hope killer becomes a new place of hope that is strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the first one. Hope killer number one, fatigue. It doesn't sound that spiritual, but fatigue is a real hope killer. Imagine going through all that Elijah went through and I've outlined it, what he did in confronting the 450 false prophets, the physical labour, the emotional investment, the spiritual investment that was in that moment when he prays a simple prayer and calls down fire and this revival breaks out. Imagine all the adrenaline rushing through him and suddenly it just stops when the threat comes. And as James has reminded us, he's human just like us. And he crashes emotionally, he crashes physically, he crashes even spiritually and comes to the point where he's in the wilderness going, God, I don't want to live anymore. I can't do this anymore. And God doesn't come down and rebuke him and go, where's your faith? Come on, get up, you wuss. He doesn't say that. God's care for him is in fact incredibly practical. Look at verse five and six. Then he, that is Elijah, lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. Can you smell that hot bread smell? Oh yeah. A little bit of butter. No, just a jar of water in this instance. He ate and drank and then lay down again and slept. And this is repeated a few times. And when you notice, God says, Elijah, what you need first and foremost is just rest. You're exhausted physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the best thing you can do is to have some regular healthy food, and some good sleep. You see, God's not surprised that we get tired or even that we succumb to 
discouragement or disappointment. Otherwise, why would He make this incredible promise in Isaiah chapter 30 to 31 that is familiar to many of you? Even youths grow tired and weary. Even people like Aaron grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God says we can do an exchange here, but you also need to do some practical things like sleep and eat. The second hope killer is isolation. And under pressure, when we start losing hope, one of the things we tend to do is to withdraw. Even though we may be surrounded by people, we shut down. I I know that's one of the ways I tend to cope with pressure. And see Elijah doing that. He went to Beersheba. And this is marginal territory. This is a city right on the verge of the wilderness or the desert, the Negev desert. And he left his servant. I want you to catch these words of isolation. He went to Beersheba. He left his servant there. He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. God strengthens him. He goes on a journey 40 days into the desert and begins to hide in a cave. You talk about somebody who's withdrawing from people, from everything that was previously the centre of his life. And the Lord appears to him. And there's no harsh rebuke. There's a challenge that's coming, but there's no harsh rebuke. Then the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And I want to say to you, if you want to get back, you need to first get back into God's presence. If you want to get back and see hope restored, one of the most powerful things you can do is just get back into God's presence. Whether it's sitting at home, listening to worship music, sitting on a hillside, looking at the vista there and enjoying God's creation and letting Him begin to speak to you. The Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because the Lord's about to pass by and there's an earthquake and there's a wind and there's a fire and it kept saying, none of them contained the presence of God. God was not in the spectacular, the dramatic. He was in the silence, in the quietness. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, I love the old King James, a still small voice, a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, after the very practical care of literally feeding Elijah and letting him recover his strength through food and sleep, He now comes to this question, what are you doing here? And if you're following a Bible or taking notes of any sort, you may want to just write down the word here. You see, God's saying to him, your mission is there, 
Your calling is there. Why are you here? You need to relocate yourself back into the call of God, the purpose of God. And don't over-spiritualise that. For people here, you've been called into a workplace, called into that school situation, called into that family situation, to be God's ambassador, to be Christ's ambassador in that situation. You're meant to be there. Why are you here? And it's a rebuke, it's a challenge, but it's not harsh. It's saying you've rested up now. It's now time to return. It's now time to recover. And there's a beautiful prayer that Paul prays for us in Ephesians 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Perhaps your here is despair, is anxiety, is concern. And God says, I know you here, but I want you to be there where the eyes of your heart are open to the magnificent things I want to do in and through you. The third hope killer is worry or anxiety. And we worry about all sorts of things. Worry is a thief and it steals something from our lives. Worry and anxiety never add anything of value to your life. And Jesus kind of challenges us on that in Matthew 6, 27. So which of you by worrying can add anything to your life? He says, don't you get at this anxiety thing that you get caught up in? It doesn't add anything, it takes away. The old English word for worry literally means to strangle or to choke. And we've all felt that cold feeling of anxiety that gets heightened in certain circumstances. It almost chokes the life out of you, chokes hope out of you. But we need to understand that when you worry, there's an opportunity for hope. It's kind of the contrast. It's kind of the opportunity. God says, I know you worry, but you can start hoping for something now that can lift you out of this anxiety, that can lift you out of this worry. As long as we choose hope, we can challenge doubt and fear, uncertainty. Our hope is not that we are strong, but that God is strong. Remember our opening verse, the God of all hope. We don't have to manufacture the hope. We have to lean into the one who is full of hope and let him fill us until we are overflowing. And I think sometimes we feel like we've got to stir up faith, stir up hope. And yeah, we've got to choose those things, but it's the God of all hope who fills us with hope. That's the transaction. That's the fight. And God said to him, go back the way you came. And when you get there, I've got stuff for you to do. Your life is not over. I know you prayed to die, but your life is not over. I've still got something for you. And then people hearing my voice today that that needs to be a prophecy over your life. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Yeah, there is a battle in this to choose hope, to choose faith, to choose destiny. But it comes from the God of all hope, who is so filled with hope that when we get into His presence, it overflows into our lives and then from our lives. There's a verse I don't have time to deal with this morning, but I wanna throw it out because it connects to our theme for 2021, 
and it just kind of captured my heart. I'll probably get to it a little bit later in this series. Where Zechariah the prophet says, return to your fortress, to your safe place, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. And I love that. Go back to the fortress. The Bible says God is our fortress, our strong and our mighty tower. He says, go back into that. And instead of being a prisoner to fatigue, a prisoner to anxiety, a prisoner to isolation, become a prisoner of hope because you're in the presence of the God of all hope. And when you do that, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore twice as much to you. Everything you feel like you lost, I will restore. See, hope has a name. It's the name of Jesus. And through the power of His resurrection, the Bible says we are born again to a living hope. Listen to these words, 1 Peter 1.13. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you're not in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith towards God, towards salvation. And maybe you made a decision like this many, many years ago and somehow stuff happened and you've drifted and you're away from God. You can step back now. God found Elijah in a wilderness, in a marginal place. And you need Christ because He brings real meaning to your life. One of life's greatest joys comes from knowing the plan and the purpose for which you were created by Him. You need Christ to help you in the everyday. He'll give you grace and wisdom and strength through a relationship with Him. But more than anything, you need Christ for eternity. Someday we'll all die. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And on judgment day, you don't want to stand alone before God. You want to stand with Jesus right beside you, saying, this is my daughter, this is my son. This is somebody who I died for and who received me. And their sins are washed away and they lived in divine purpose to the best of their belief. They want of mine, they want of ours, Father. That's what you want. And you can get there by simply praying a really simple prayer. Because the Bible says if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will experience salvation. 